0: If any, yeah, I think we're good on seats, but if anybody needs extra seats, we got, we got a stack of them back there. It's good to be back. If you weren't here last week, I wasn't either. And so uh, it was good to get away. Um, I'm one of those guys I found out. It had been about a year since we took a Sunday off. And so uh, at, the, at the behest and bequest of some people that love us, they're like, hey, why don't you get out of town? So we're like, okay, we will. And so we were in the house with six adults, seven kids, and five dogs. Um, and it was good. It was good. It was full. It was full, but it was, it was fun. We had a great time with my brothers and their kids, and the beach is always good, and food, and it was just it was good to get away. But I will say, kind of like, it, it just kind of happens, like we missed being here. Like it felt like we missed something really, really big. And while we talk about it a lot, that Sundays are not our identity, um, it is something that we do as a result of who we are, and it, it, it's become something that's very, very important to us. And, and you know, that seems like a dust statement kind of a thing, but, but it has. And so we missed it, but we're glad we're back. Thank you guys for pitching in last week for those that jumped in and filled gaps because we weren't here andrew for teaching man you did a great job and happy anniversary to andrew and lexi hendricks today by the way yep um, it was one of those weeks like birthdays anniversaries like crazy like uh, andrew and lexi andrew's one of our elders neil color um, they're out of town this weekend he's one of our elders it's his birthday his wife's birthday was this week uh, haley pope our children's ministry director uh, it was her birthday this week they had a kid it was just a lot of them like my google calendar was full and so, if we missed any, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Shoot me a text, and I'll stick it in my calendar, which serves as my brain. Uh, but either way, we're glad you guys are here. We're back in Philippians today, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and we're going to read through. Uh, Andrew last week tackled a thick, like, I call it an overnight oats, overnight oats passage, like, because overnight oats is thick, especially when you don't add enough liquid. But that's what he tackled last week when we were pitching out this series shot a message out to Andrew and Zach, and I was like, hey, look over the book, pick out one that you like, here's some options, and he picked out that one. I'm like, way to go, big boy. Um, That's a good one, and he did a great job with it. So if you weren't here and you want to catch up, be sure to, uh, you can find us everywhere that podcasts are and and catch up. Um, And so last week was this, it was kind of a rich, deep, theological uh, text and in that text, like Andrew said, part of it was was likely an early church liturgy or something that they repeated, not a mantra per se, but like liturgy, something that they would repeat or catechize so that they would say it over and over and over so that they would remember it. And it was very important, that latter half of that passage last week. And this week starts off in a very similar way to the passage last week because it starts with like a therefore or a so. And so the reason that that therefore is there is to remind us uh, of the majesty and the regal nature of Jesus that was spoken about at the end of that text, which is going to lead us into the text that we're gonna talk about today. Uh, Kind of like we've talked about in this letter to the Philippian church, Paul's doing a couple things. Like he's giving them an update because he's great friends with these people. They're a great partner. They've taken care of him. They've loved him well. Um, And it's an encouraging letter, which from Paul, to be honest, Paul was a spiritual father, and most of the time, Paul would have to offer encouragement with correction. But the book of Philippi, there's very little correction. A lot of it is like, hey, I love you guys, and uh, I think of you when I think of you every time I pray for you. Like, I appreciate you. You've taken care of me. And so a lot of it's like this, this idea of he's encouraging them to continue to do what they're doing. And, and so today, he's going to do that. He's also going to give a little bit of an update, so he kind of does both. Uh, but there's, there's two main things that I want us to get out of this passage today, and I'm not going to give those away now, um, but just, just two ideas, and that's going to be our application. But before we jump in, let's pray, and then we'll read through this text and talk more about it. <clears throat> God, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for gathering us together um, in a common place for a common reason, and that's, that's you God, I do know just as an understanding, like there are people here sitting here right now that do not know you, that they, they have not yet uh, confessed you as Lord. Uh, they may be curious, they may be questioning, uh, they may be completely doubtful, but God, I pray that their skepticism would be healthy today, um, that they would maybe not yet believe but say, maybe I could. And so, Father, I pray that you, through your spirit, working through your word and your people, uh, Father, that you would, you would give them insight that they don't have. Uh, You are kind to do that. You are gracious to do that, and I pray you do that. For the rest of us, God, who know you and who follow you, I pray that through your word today you would equip us to know you and follow you better, um, to understand uh, the nature of of your salvation and the point of your salvation. Uh, Father, I pray that you would would equip us to know you and love you better. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's trustworthy. Thank you for allowing us to read it and know it and hopefully apply it to our lives. Uh, We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, chapter 2 verses 12 through 18 starts off like i said with therefore therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation I'm going to cover, like, these last two verses first, which I know is weird, but these last two verses first is kind of Paul's way of, A, encouraging, but encouraging through updating, um, like he's letting them know that, yes, again, like we've talked about, he's in a place right now where it, it is, it's like the princess bride kind of a deal, where, you know, good works, take your rest, get a nap, because tomorrow you'll most likely die, kind of a thing. Like, that's where Paul is. He's, he's imprisoned, he's under either under house arrest, or he's actually in a prison, we don't really know for sure, but either way, it's not the best of situations. We don't hear him complain we don't hear him lament we we don't hear him ask to be released from prison he's actually praised them and he's like look you got to understand i'm here but god's been doing great things like really he actually uses like the modifier in chapter one he's like actually in spite of where i am god's done amazing things and so in these last two verses of this particular text he lets them know he's like even if i am to be sacrificed if i am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I'm glad and rejoice with you all. So basically, he's saying, Look, I love you. I appreciate where you are. I appreciate how God's grown you. And even if I die, as a result of what I have given you, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I am okay. And then he said, And likewise, I want you to be glad with me and rejoice with me. Even if I die, even if I am emptied out, even if I am completely uh, poured out on the offering of your faith, like I- I want, I'm going to be good with it. I want you to be good with it too. That's kind of his update as to where he is. But before that, he, he starts with some, some different ideas, and I want to go through just kind of verse by verse and, and talk about what he's doing. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, again, I said that therefore was there pointing back to the regal nature and the majesty of Jesus who, like Andrew talked about last week, emptied himself, certain released certain aspects of his divinity so that he may be obedient even obedient to the point of death, death even on the cross, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, whether now or in the age to come, now for salvation, age to come at realization, but possibly sent somewhere else. Uh, But either way, he's like, therefore, as a result of that, as a result of knowing what we know about Jesus, obey, obey. Like you did when I was there, but I want you to do it much more now that I'm not there. Because even in this instance, he's pointing out, like, it's great if you obey when I'm there, but it's going to be far more indicative if you obey when I'm not there. Kind of like the, the parental thing. Like, you know, yes, I expect my kids to be well-behaved when they're around me because they know if they're not, things may happen. You know, stuff could go down. You know, if my kid breaks, you know, just they break stuff intentionally we don't spank for accidents. But, like, if it's intentional, if it's bad, they do that in front of me. They know, you know, life's, you know there's, there's punishment. There's discipline that comes. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they obey when I'm there, but I want to know that they're going to obey when I'm not there, when I'm not watching. And Paul's saying a very similar thing. He's like, look, yes, uh, obey. Like, knowing what we know about Jesus, um, I, I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. Continue to obey. Not like it was when I was there, but even more so when I'm absent. I want you to continue to obey. And so then he adds another line here in in kind of this idea of obedience. He says, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's the the qualifier. He's like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This text has been uh, used in a variety of different ways. Some some well, some not well. Uh, But this particular text, let me tell you what it's not saying before we talk about what it is saying. This is not talking about you have to earn anything about your salvation. This is not telling us that you have to work, work, work so that God will accept you. That's not the truth. That would contradict the rest of the gospel. That would contradict what we read about last week, the week before. It would contradict much of the text. And so it's not saying that. But in, in another way, he's talking about, he's like, um, you know, in Philippians 1, chapter 6, remember that he said, he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of our Lord, or until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's not telling us that we have to earn it, but it is telling us, that we have to work at it. It's telling us that just because we're saved, it doesn't mean that we're done. That we, you know, like we talk about a lot, like we haven't been redeemed to sit. Like that was never the intent. That was never the purpose. That was never the goal of Christ to come, leave his place, which Andrew talked about last week, where he was sung about all the time, which he was celebrated all the time as part of this Godhead, this one in three, three in one, blow your mind kind of an idea. Um, it's, if that's Jesus, we, we weren't redeemed for him just to look at us and watch us sit. So Paul, in his encouragement here, he's like, I I want you to obey. I want you to encourage in light of who Jesus is. I want to encourage you to obey and continue. And I want to encourage you to to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, I want you to understand that it's just because we have been redeemed doesn't mean that it's done. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. And then he actually adds to it a little bit. He says, I want you to work out your salvation, not just work it out, but work it out with fear and trembling. Like the fear and trembling idea, very much an Old Testament kind of a thing that's carried over into the New Testament, but it's not mentioned a whole lot in the New Testament. It's not because it's obsolete, uh, but it's because it was already understood that when we're thinking about God and when we're thinking about the ways of God, the person of God, the characteristics of God, there needs to be on our part some reverence attached some wonder attached, like the fear and trembling idea. It's not like I'm scared to death, but at the same time, it is kind of like I'm scared to death. But I'm scared to death with the understanding that, that God loves me. Like there's, it's just different. Like, you know, I, I remember, like, you guys probably weren't alive then or at least super conscious. Some of you were, but like the 90s, like I remember the T-shirt of like, Jesus is my homeboy. Like, I hate that. Like, I do. Like, I know it was, you know, people were like, yeah, I'm a homeboy. And I'm like, no, 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 he's not. And I was probably a bit on the legalistic side, but, but thankfully God has tempered me a bit. And it's not so much, you're an idiot, you're crazy, but it's just like, we just can't think about God like that. You know, like if we go to a vision of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is having this vision, and Isaiah was this, this prophet among prophets, highly revered. Uh, he looks at God on a throne in this vision, and he's like, man, when I look at you, God, I am undone. I'm unfurled. I am ruined. Because he's looking at the God of all creation, and he's like, I can't look at you and think that I'm okay. I can't look at you and then look at myself and be like, hey, we're on good terms because you're my homeboy. Like, it doesn't work like that. It's just not that. Instead, it's like this fear and trembling, this awe and reverence, this awe and wonder kind of a thing. Again, if we go back to the therefore at the beginning of this passage, looking at the Jesus that was being discussed last week, there's no way that we can look at the Jesus that was discussed and be like, yeah, man, we are perfect by my behavior. We, we can't do that. Now, by grace, God has made us completely acceptable, completely loved, completely worthy through Jesus and Jesus alone. But it was not of my doing, not of your doing. It wasn't there. So he says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he adds a bit to that. And in verse 13, he gives us an understanding as to why. He says, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. It would be if it was not God who worked in me, if it was self-help or if it was, um, if it was copious amounts of therapy or if it was uh, good practices or good morals or anything like that that was like actually saving me, yeah, I could look at that without fear and trembling. Like I could. I could look at that and be fine to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely on the same page with that. I'm good. And fear and trembling wouldn't necessarily need to be attached. But when he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for for it is God who works in you, then it changes things. It changes things. Again, this is the God who made everything, who breathed life relationally into us, who created the heavens and the earth just by the speaking of a word. And this is the God who wants relationship with us through Jesus. So yes, we can know him, be known by him, be his, he be our father and we be his kids and all of that kind of stuff. And even us and Jesus sharing the same inheritance and all that kind of stuff, but he's, he's still God. And so that means like this salvation that we're working out, not so that we can save ourselves, but we've already been saved, like there needs to be like all wonder, fear, trembling, reverence, all of those things attached. Because again, this is the work of God, not the work of me, not the work of you, not the work of man or a book or anything like that, but it's, it's more. It's God. Um, I think, at least for me personally, the longer that I've followed Jesus, the more the more peculiar, the more awestruck I become with the things of God. Like, the more I look at it, like, I, I, I really believe this. Like, when I was a young believer, an infant believer, I, I, there probably was a part of me that thought I was good enough to deserve salvation. There probably was. That was completely errant, completely wrong, completely false. But at the same time, there was probably something in me that thought I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, doggone it, people like me, and Jesus saved me. Yee-haw, way to go. I deserve it. But the longer that I follow Jesus, the more that I get to see the nature, the characteristic, the holy, holy, holiness, the trihagian nature of God, the more I get to the point where I'm like, there is no way in any alternate universe that I deserved any of this. Like, no way. And, and I say it all the time. Like, the gospel is other than. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane. And Andrew talked about it last week. Like, it's just, man, it's, it's out there. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. But it's completely true that this God, this God who made everything— made everything good and then we jacked it up he still wants to know us and he wants us to make him known like that fear and trembling like fear and trembling to know that God could have wiped me off of wiped me out of existence well before I even existed to know that God could have spoken a word and I would have never been but at the same time to know that he could speak a word and I do begin that's crazy like, that's crazy. Like, man, in, on any given day, other than the day that grace infects, God should be completely out of reach. Completely out of reach. And that's the God that saves us. That's the God that wants to know us. That's the God that wants us to know him intimately, relationally, by name. That God. Fear and trembling have to be attached. And then he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure not only is it god that saves us not only is there fear and trembling that needs to be attached not only do we have to work at our salvation but understanding like the place and the purpose and the direction of my salvation is not about me or you it's for by his will and his good pleasure you're like man well that sounds incredibly selfish no it just sounds like we're incredibly short-sighted that think probably highly of ourselves and not highly enough of god pardon me let me let me rephrase that that i think too highly of myself and i might not think highly enough of god i don't want to put that on your plate but I'll, i'll stick it on mine it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure and so, what what God has done here, and we'll we'll flesh, I mean, what Paul has done here, and we'll flesh it out more in just a minute, is by giving update and by teaching, he's talked about the nature of salvation, the nature of salvation. That a couple of things in there, like the, the first is that uh, the nature of this salvation is not salvation is not just something we receive, but it's it's what we do. Salvation is not just something that we receive, but it's what we do. Because I think for a lot of us, we, we believe that salvation is the finish line. And I, and I don't think that that's necessarily my fault, your fault. I do believe, and I will, I'll put this on, on the church on the whole, at least the church in the United States, because I can't put it on the church in another place. I think we've made it far too approachable just to, to walk down front, say a prayer, get dunked, sit, and you're good. You've been given a hardcover Bible. Uh, you've been included on a roll. You're a member now. You're set. It's not the end. Like it's just the beginning, but we've we've propagated this myth that hey, you come to Jesus, uh, you do a dance, you do all these things, and I'm not knocking your salvation experience. If that was your salvation experience, that is fine. Mine was probably pretty similar, uh, and I'm not knocking that. But what I am saying is that's 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 not the goal. Like, the goal is, is lifelong, eternity long, and it begins at that covenant relationship, whether you walk down front and said a prayer with a pastor or whether you experienced it in your car or whether you were driving down the road and you were hit with the overwhelming weight of your sin or whether you were sitting in the hall of your home and your parents laid out the gospel for the first time. That's just the beginning. That's just the start. The rest of eternity, we get to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Or at least the rest of this life. Because at some point, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all things right unto himself. And, and the things that we've had to work at, we won't have to work at anymore. Then we just get to work at singing to God and telling him that we're great. That he's great. Not we, sorry. So the nature of salvation is not just something that we receive, but it's, it's what we do. It requires effort. It requires reverence. It requires understanding that it is for God and not for me. It's revealed in what we pursue it's revealed in what we avoid, and both of those take effort. It's revealed in what we pursue, it's revealed in what we avoid, and it's revealed in how much effort we put forth to both of those things. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think another part of this text that people have done is they've, they've said that this working out your salvation with fear and trembling means that you need to commit all of your mental faculties to understanding everything God's done. I'm not in opposition to that, but that's not this text either. That's not what this text is saying either. Yes, I'm all for reasoning with God and understanding the things that we can. But Zach, even yesterday, so eloquently at our men's breakfast, put that there are going to be unknowable things about God, and they're always going to be unknowable, and we have to be okay with that. There's going to be things that he places in our life, roadblocks, stumblings, you know, things that are difficult for us, and we may never understand why they're there. We never, I may never understand, was there a lesson that I should have gleaned from this? Was there a place that you should have grown me in this? We may never know, but the things that we do know about God must supersede the things that we don't know about God, and we just kind of have to continue to strive. And most of the time, the way that we strive is going to be revealed in the things we pursue, the things we avoid, and how hard we work at both. The things we pursue is to, is to know and understand God better. It doesn't mean that we're going to know everything. But, man, we, we have Scripture. And, yes, sometimes it's hard. I hope I've never given you the impression that all of Scripture is easy to understand because it's just not. There, there are large chunks of the Old Testament where, I'll be honest, I'm incredibly weak and anemic. Like I would have to read and study a ton to teach those. And, and it's, just, it's just the nature of it. Some of it's very difficult for me. And that's, that's okay. It's okay because the things that I do know about God bolster my faith to understand. Even the things that I don't know, even if I never know them, I'll still be okay. So part of my working out my salvation with fear and trembling is understanding. Yes, I strive to know as much about God as I can, but there'll be things that I don't know, and that's just okay. It's okay because I have enough fear and trembling, reverence and awe of him, to understand things that are unknown. They're still okay. They're still safe. I just might not understand them yet or Ever. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What we pursue, what we avoid, both are effort. There's some things that we avoid. Like, I'll be honest, the things that we avoid that reveal if we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's just one word, and it's spelled S-I-N. It's sin. We avoid sin. Like, not popular. Like, we don't want to talk about that because we want to be saved for freedom, right? Well, I want to be free. Okay, I'm free. And so by me being free, that means I am saved, I'm redeemed, I can go and do whatever I want. Well, that's not true. That's not true. The Spirit dictates otherwise, or the Spirit should dictate otherwise. And if the Spirit is not dictating otherwise, and you are redeemed, then you're just not listening, or I am not listening. Because sin is the thing that Jesus came to die for, by the way. He came to put it to death so that we may have life and life everlasting only through the one true God, Him, and His Son whom He sent, John 17, 3. And so therefore, if He died for sin, we have to put it to death. And so if we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, yes, we are pursuing him through his word, through his spirit, through his people, but yes, we are also pursuing him by avoiding sin, like keeping it out of the camp, so to speak. And that's hard. And that's not just a a one-way door. It's just not you wake up one day and be like, today I am not going to sin. Well, good. I'm I'm glad that we're declaring that, but sometimes it's far far more multifaceted than that. Number one, we may have to actually name the sin that we've been committing regularly and without reproach, and and then we do what? We confess. We confess, according to 1 John, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Before we commit to not do it, maybe we have to confess that we've been doing it, and we have to put it to death. Say, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then after that, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful. We go to someone else that we know, that we love, that we trust, and we say, hey, this is what I've been dealing with. This is what I've been struggling with. Uh, would you pray on my behalf with me that I can avoid it? I've confessed it to God. I don't want to do it anymore. I truly want to repent of it and not just say that it's bad, but I want to repent of it to such a degree that I don't turn back to it. Can you, can you pray with me? And not only pray with me, maybe ask me about it next Tuesday at 6.30 a.m. Hypothetical time and place. If this is your sin, whatever it may be. So just saying that I'm going to avoid sin is not enough. Sometimes we need reinforcements, and sometimes we need practicality. And then then there's the other thing that we actually not only confess it to God, but we say, God, here's my struggle. This is what I've done. I know it's not what you want, uh, so I need strength that only you can give me to avoid it. Because, again, this this working on our salvation, it is for God. It's God that does the will and the work in us to do his good pleasure. Like, this this isn't my battle. Like, it's his battle. Now, we have to partner with him in it. And we have to give ourselves over to his calls and his will and his purpose and his plans and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's, not, it's not my battle. It's his. Now, gratefully, in the long term, he's already won it. But in the immediate and the circumstantial, in the responsibility part of my life, my lane, like I have to name it for what it is. I have to confess it for what it is. And I have to turn from it because of what it is. And I have to ask God to help me not return to it. So this, this idea of working out our salvation it is about the things that we pursue, the things that we avoid, and the effort that we put into both, how much we do it. And, and I, you know, like, honestly, there are some things in Scripture that it would be so much easier if we didn't believe them. Like, it would. Life would be a whole lot easier if we didn't believe that once we were, we were redeemed and saved by grace through faith uh, that we had to do anything after. Like, it'd be great to believe that, but the problem is it's just it's not true. It's not true. So we can either live a falsehood, a lie, for the rest of our life and remain infants in the faith... Or we can actually accept Scripture for what it says and say that, yes, now that we have been redeemed, we've been given free reign to work, to know God. The freedom that we have is to pursue God because we couldn't do that before salvation. You understand, like when we were separated from God by our sin, we could not know God. We could not get to know God. uh, We could not know Him better because we were cut off by our sin. Only until Jesus, by grace through faith in which we confessed and repented of our sin and named Jesus as our Savior... That's the first time in our life that we've been ever equipped and enabled to actually pursue God. And so now that we're equipped, now that we're enabled, now that we've been given the green light and permission, we work at our salvation with fear and trembling. What we pursue, what we avoid, and how hard we work at both. And it's not in an effort to earn it. It's because we've already been given it by grace. We've been granted. So the first chunk of this passage is talking about the nature of salvation. And he's talking about the nature of salvation to people that apparently understood it pretty well. They, they, they seemingly got it. And I think he might have been a bit hyperbolic when he said, uh, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, like uh, you have always obeyed. They, they probably didn't always obey, but they do a pretty good job. But apparently they, they had a pretty good grasp on what it meant this this letter of encouragement is, is good proof of that the people at philippi who were a unique people a unique people they still needed to be reminded that they had to work you're doing a good job but keep on keep on for me that's like that this is the theme of philippians for me like you're you're doing well you're doing you really you really are i'm really proud of you this is paul's words to them like i i am i'm, I'm really proud of you i'm grateful for our partnership. You're doing well. Now let's just just keep doing well. Keep doing well. So he talks about the nature of salvation. The second part of the text, he kind of shifts a little bit. Verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights of the world. I find it very interesting that of all the behaviors that Paul could have pointed out to tell them not to do, so that, because I want to give the purpose here, so that they would be uh, without blemish and viewed as very good in the midst of crooked and twisted people and to shine as light to the world. He said, look, if you want to shine as light to the world in the midst of people who are crooked and twisted, here are the things you don't need to do. Don't grumble and don't argue. Don't grumble and don't argue. This list is not exhaustive. But for some reason, like speaking to the people at Philippi, and I think speaking to people in general, like if you want to stand out as a result of Jesus, this God who you've been saved by, the therefore, the big therefore in your life, if you want to stand out, he's telling them, uh, man, don't grumble and don't argue. And he's like, if you're a people that have been redeemed by Jesus and you're not grumbling and you're not arguing, you're going to be like a light in the darkness in the midst of broken up, busted up, beat down people. Of all the things he could tell them, don't grumble, don't argue. I, to me, that's just interesting to me. Like, I, I probably would have had a different list. I, would, I don't know. I, I don't know what it would have been, but it probably wouldn't have been these that I picked out. But Paul did. Have you ever met the person that never has a good thing to say? Like never. Like never has a good thing to say. The moment that they pick up the phone, all they do is tell you how bad their day was. I've got somebody in my life that I talk to regularly, and the very first thing is they just start complaining. It's nobody in this room, so you're all safe. You're good. And you can't even get a word in because they're just telling you how bad things have been. How does that, when you get off those phone calls, how do you feel? You don't feel encouraged. You don't feel happy. You don't feel like, wow, I want to do that again. You almost feel like, I don't want to talk to them again for at least a week to 12 days, whatever it may be. Maybe I need a nap. Have you ever met someone that professes Jesus that all they do is complain? I have. Have you ever met someone that professes Jesus that they think that everyone, everyone is against them and all they want to do is speak out against that? How well do you think they point people to Christ? They don't. They steer them away. Because no one enjoys those conversations. And this is not self-help mumbo-jumbo. But this is just reality. Like, no one likes to have those conversations where someone just complains all the time. No one likes that. No one enjoys that. No one is like, yeah, let's do that again. Yay! So imagine if every person that claimed the refreshment, the salvation, the necessity of Jesus, all they did was complain. The kingdom would not grow. Kingdom would not thrive we wouldn't be able to afford to meet in a place like zen in a downtown that's increasingly expensive wouldn't happen i'm grateful you don't like i'm grateful you don't i would encourage you to continue to not do that don't grumble don't argue it's really interesting the way that Paul phrases this because Paul does parallel this statement, this is a parallel statement to one that occurred several hundred years previous, but it was coming from Moses to the people of Israel, but with a slight twist, with a slight twist in deuteronomy thirty one and thirty two um, and then a little bit later, and also in Exodus he's got this he's got this deal and, and he's telling them you understand you have grumbled and complained all the time, and you could have been a light for the rest of the world, but instead, you're just going to wander around. You're just going to wander. The people of Israel, the reason that they ended up wandering for 40 years and the current generation had to die is because, A, they didn't believe in the power of God, and then once they got there into God's provision, even though they were wandering, all they did was complain. All they did was grumble, complain, argue and forget and if you read the accounts of them wandering for 40 years it was like it would be so much better if we were just under the yoke of slavery again at least there at least there we had food and they had food provided for them every day they had this what is it they didn't know what it was called this mystery bread, this heavenly loaf that would just plop down on the ground and they could eat as much as they wanted in a given day and then they had like fried chicken. It wasn't fried and it wasn't chicken, but it was quail and it was cooked and it was ready for them every single day, but yet they grumbled and complained like, God, if we were just back suffering under slavery and we were dying every day, it would be so much better than if we were here. They grumbled and complained. See, the baby didn't even like it. That's right. Nobody wants to hear that especially when we're walking around in the midst of provision, heavenly, godly provision, there's no reason to grumble and complain. Like, yes, now this is not downplaying the difficulty of life. Like, that, that's not it. Like, it's, it's okay for us to voice our concern over things that we're struggling with. As a matter of fact, we should. We should confess to one another on a regular basis the sins that we're dealing with, the difficulties that we're encountering, and we should ask for brothers and sisters in the faith, would you please remember to pray for me? pray for me. We talked about suffering a couple weeks ago. We're in no way trying to diminish suffering. But at the same time, even in the midst of suffering, like there's still grace. Because, again, like we looked at the end of chapter 1, for you have been granted to believe, graced to believe. You've also been graced to suffer for the sake of Jesus. If we're living in this egocentric universe in which everything revolves around me, like, yes, we're just going to complain when things are bad, but the reality is it doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't revolve around you. It has to be a Christocentric in which we're revolving around Jesus for his goodness, for his glory, for his purpose, to do his will, for his good. And in that case, like, we don't have that much to complain about. Yes, confess struggle, absolutely, but just the grumble, complain, and fight, and argue. And the reason that he points this out is, He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be or that you may be seen as blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. He says, if this is you, if you are living in response to Jesus and if you see this is all his and you are not grumbling and complaining, you will stand out because the world grumbles and complains. You will be conspicuous amongst a group of people who are twisted, broken, and crooked, who their language is grumbling and complaining. You will stand out. And not only will you stand out, but you will be lights in this world that so desperately needs it. And Old Testament prophecy repeats several times that the people of God will be just this. They will be lights to a world who desperately needs it something Israel failed to do in the Old Testament over and over and over. They succeeded from time to time, but for the most part, it was rise and fall, rise and fall. They'd get to a place where they were about to shine, and then they'd be like, Hey, give me all your earrings. Let's make us a calf. We want to worship that today. And that's, I know, that's, I say that like it's in jest, but we do the same thing. I'm encouraging us to continue to not do that, <laughs> like not Be that. See the goodness that God has put on display through Jesus that we get to live in. See the fact that it's not about my purpose, not about my glory, not about my goodness, but His. And then look at the riches that He has translated and transposed on our behalf. And then don't grumble and complain. And as a result, the world will see it as conspicuous. There's two places in Scripture where I feel like um, will be our easiest way to convey the grace that God has given us. One... Acts chapter 2, the way that we love each other, it will stand out. The way that we love each other. If we do it well, it will stand out. The world will look at it, and they will be like, man, that's weird. I don't know why they do it, but I kind of want it. And we get to speak. The other way comes right here. Like, don't grumble, don't complain, don't argue. Don't grumble, don't complain, don't argue, especially amongst the family. Don't do it with outsiders either, you know. Andrew even talked about the humility aspect last week. Like if someone gets your order wrong at Wendy's, you don't throw your burger back at them. You know, believe it or not, you should have already known that. But scripture attests to it. It said it last week. Do not throw your burger at Wendy's. That's what Andrew told us. Don't argue. I hate to pull out the Jesus card. But I think the the can's already been opened, especially last week. Like, have this this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Like, I do go back to the cross, and I think about Jesus on trial. He never once argued. He just ate it, which blows my mind. Because he had every chance to argue. He could have broken all of the legal arguments that they brought against him, and he could have easily walked himself away from the cross. But Isaiah, 740 years previous, said that he wouldn't argue. And when it came time for him to, he didn't. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, he remained silent. I think very often our best recourse, and don't hear me being rude, is just to keep our mouths shut. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just keep our mouths shut. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I mean, I have to tell, this is the language that I have to use with myself sometimes. Like sometimes I just, I just got to keep my mouth shut. I don't need to argue. I don't need to be. I don't need to be that guy. Could that mean that somebody's wrong in my presence and I don't correct them? It could be. Could mean that. Could that mean that someone is, man, saying bad things about me and and I don't launch back at them? It could mean that too. Could mean a lot of things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless or seen as blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light to the world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. A couple things, translational in verse 16, it could mean one of two things or it could kind of mean both. It could mean hold fast or cling unto the word of life, which is the word that they had received through Paul, the word that they were continuing to receive through the people, through the spirit, uh, through the written word that they had at this particular time. They don't have nearly as much as we do, but they had what they had, and they were learning from it. So hold fast to the word of life. But translationally, it could also mean hold out the word of life. could mean both. And you'll see it if you read modern English translations. It, it's going to go either way. And that's because maybe it, it could be. Like translationally English and ancient Greek, they, they don't work together 100% all the time. Um, but in this case, either one of those, to be honest, works. And we're not being eisegetical here. We're not reading into Scripture. But like, Yeah. Like, if don't grumble, don't complain. You'll be the lights to this crooked and twisted generation and therefore hold out the word of life to people. Maybe extend to them when they ask, hey, I don't understand, why are you so odd? Why are you so peculiar? Why is it that you just, man, how is it that you are so peaceful? Well, then we get to tell them. Like, I think we live our lives in such a way that it points people to Jesus that they do. They ask questions, and then we get to answer questions, and that we answer questions with the gospel. Like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, like, in the midst of Paul being in prison and saying, look, I want you to let you know that everything is going okay in here. It's because the, for him, the gospel was primary. For us, for to be kingdom people, the gospel must be primary too. Then we understand that our lives are an avenue to speak the truth of Jesus. The way that we live, the way that we respond, the way that we keep our mouths closed sometimes is an avenue for people to ask us, how is it that you do this? How is it that you remain like this? How is it that you're just not mad right now? And we don't have to lie. We don't have to throw out Sunday school answers and just say, well, it's just Jesus. We, we can say that, but then we've got to fill in the blanks. We talk about our story a lot. Yes, our story. We share our story. We share how God got us to where we are now. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. The gospel rests in our story if we've been made right with God. And so we hold out the word of life so that people can hear it, so that people get a chance to respond to it. And then Paul just kind of adds this. He says, so holding fast to the word of life or holding out the word of life so that in the day of Christ or when Christ returns, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul wants to know that what he gave to them, they did something with. Paul wants to to know and to be sure that what he gave to them as a result of what God had given him, that they did something with it. They didn't just sit on it. That they worked it out. <laughs> like, they did something with it. They, they spent time. They pursued God more. They avoided the things that God didn't want them to do more. And they put effort into both. And as a result, people saw it and they were like, I want that. Paul wants to know it. I, I want to know that I, I didn't work so hard for no good reason. I like to think of the people that have invested in me through the years. That whether they know it or not, they, they, they poured something valuable into me. I want them to know that it wasn't a waste. I want them to know that it wasn't a waste of their time, their efforts, their words, their giftings, their passions. I want to know that what I pour into my kids is not a waste. I want to know that what I get to pour into this church is not a waste. Similar expressions from Paul, but I think about you. Like You think about the people that invested truth in your life. And this is not your sole motivation or your only motivation, but, but wouldn't it be great for them to know that what they poured into you was not a waste? That the words they shared, the truth that they conveyed, the experience that maybe they painfully confessed, wasn't lost on you. And then all the people that you've invested in, all the people that you get a chance just to to love well, not just in deed, but in word and in truth. Don't you want to know that they hear? That they've understood that God's done something with it and they accepted it. They picked it up and they ran with it. That they worked with what they were given. Because at the end of the day, this work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that's what it is. You work with what you've been given. You work with what you've been given. And what we've been given is salvation. Save from sin, save to God. So we avoid that and we try to get closer to him. Work out your salvation. It's not a, it's not a deal about earning it. It's not a deal about I want to be acceptable to God. No, Jesus has already made us acceptable if we just believe. Confess him as Lord, turn from our sin. We've already been made acceptable. And so now what do we do with that? What do we do with what we've been given? Work it out. Work with it. Use it to the best of our limited ability, and we trust God to fill in the gaps. You might not know how to start. You may be like, man, I'm, I am really accustomed to sitting. I'm really good at it. I got it down. I hope so. Sitting's pretty easy. Salvation's great. And it's the best start that we'll ever have. But it's not the destination. Um, if you would honestly sit there and say, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to ask you to do anything physical that anybody sees it. Because, you know, we don't want to put you on the spot. But here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask you as soon as possible, today or tomorrow, you tell someone that you trust, that knows Jesus, like I know God. I have. I've trusted in him uh, for my salvation and my eternity, but I don't know what to do next. You tell them. You can use those words. You can use other, some kind of combination as long as you convey that idea. Like, I, I don't know where to go from here. And if they do, they can help you. If they don't, this is what I would encourage you to do. If you're one of the people hearing and you're like, I don't know what to tell them, you, you reach up the chain. Okay, if, if you're not a community group leader, you reach out to your community group leader. If you don't have a community group yet, they restart in September, so it's a good excuse to join one. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Um, or maybe you don't know any of those people. You're kind of new here. Hey, you can email me. You can email Andrew. You can email my wife, Abby. You can email Lexi. You can e- email Neil and Lindsay, who aren't here, Zach and Becky, uh, any of the community group leaders, Haley and Dixon. You email any of them. Say, hey, uh, either A, I don't know where to start, or someone came to me, they say they don't know where to start, and I don't know what to tell them, and we'll help you. We will help you. That's why we exist. Like Sundays are great. This is awesome. This is so much fun. But Sundays are just, man, it, it's, it may be 5% of what we get to do. Like the other 95% is, is done in a living room or across the table or maybe on a golf course if you're one of those people, not me, or whatever it may be. I don't care. But like the rest of it, it's just it's face-to-face, voice-to-voice, heart-to-heart, story-to-story. Like if you don't know where to start, just ask us, and we'll be glad to help you start. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're one of the people that gets approached and someone says, hey, I don't know where to start. You do. Tell them. Walk with them. And don't just tell them once. Tell them again next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. Scripture is very complicated when it comes to this. It's just called discipleship. That's the way we do it. God's invested in me. I get to invest in someone else so that they may invest in someone else. It's the way the kingdom grows. It's the way the kingdom grows, and it's the way that we grow. If you need help, just ask. Just ask. I've I've got a uh, an outline of a book that I've I've had written. It's in my bedside table. Maybe one day I'll write the book. Right now I have chapter titles, um, and a couple points. So you know I'm almost done. Uh, but it's about work. Like it's, it's it's about work. Like how do we do it? Because I think in in our life, like I think that there's a <clears throat> I want to work just hard enough idea kind of a thing. I want to work just hard enough. And I think in some regards, that's okay. I've had conversations with people like, look, I don't need to work to get rich. I just want to work hard enough so that uh, my family doesn't have to worry about buying food next month. I get that, okay? But that's not what I'm talking about. But like, I think there's also that same mentality or that same idea when it comes to, to Jesus and the ways of Christ. Like, I want to work just hard enough so that I'm okay? The people of Philippi, the reason that they're such a unique people is they had a completely different mindset. And that may be the reason that Paul is able to look at them and say, I encourage you to continue. Because like we talked about in, at the end of chapter 1, they were unique amongst the Greek people. And they understood that it was not enough just to be good enough. But they had to be exceptional. They had to be exceptional. I think if we begin to weigh the nature of our life against the goodness of God, We'll understand there is no good enough. There is no coasting speed. And this is not to elicit guilt or to make you feel bad about the things that you've done, but I think it is encouragement to continue to gain speed, gain momentum, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because the thing that God has given us is bigger than we can weigh. It's bigger than we can comprehend. And it's worth striving for. It's worth working as a result for, to pursue, to avoid, to put in the time. And it's not even about the dividends. It's not even about the payout. It's about he who gave it. It's about he who gave it. Therefore, as a result of Jesus and God who sent him, we work it out. And we don 't stop, we just continue. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the idea that, that you 're worth it, the understanding that you 're worth it the God the responsibility that you 've placed on us to do something with what you 've given us to not just sit on it. Father, for all the times in my life where I 've just rested on salvation. Uh, I pray that you forgive me if I'm not aware of it. Convict me of that. Point it out. God, for for us as a church family, um, if anyone is content to sit, I pray you would convict them otherwise. That it's not just about sitting. It's not just about uh, resting for years on end. At some point, God, I pray that you would convict us to do something with what you've given us. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because we understand who gave it to us. And we understand the weight of it even if we don't understand it fully. Just give us enough of a glimpse that we are motivated uh, to pursue you, to avoid sin, and Father, so that we can see the purpose of it. The purpose is so that the world may know you. Those who are twisted and crooked and need light so desperately, God, I pray that they would see it through us. Not so that we could brag or check a box, but because, God, they need you, and we can share it. God, I do pray that the people of origins, this faith family that you have so expertly crafted, I pray that we would live conspicuous lives. God, I pray that uh, just like Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, God, that we would live out our good works in such a way that the world would see. And Father, as a result of them seeing, we would get to speak of your word, to hold out uh, the word of life to them and that they may respond. God, thank you for placing us in a city that so desperately needs you, that so desperately needs you, that so desperately needs to understand that salvation is for you and to you and through you only, your son Jesus. I thank you for the encouragement, God, that you so often give us of of your doing well. Just continue. But God, I also thank you for the conviction that you give us too that Maybe we just need to figure out what it looks like to do something with what you've given us. I pray for the conversations that will occur. God, I pray for wisdom that needs to be given, wisdom that needs to be heard, and wisdom that needs to be spoken. Um, And, Father, I pray that real-life transformation would happen and that you would receive the glory and not us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his word, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.